Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dewpoint Report, the Digital Electronic Worldpoint Report, with your hostess, Margarita Carrillo. Now I know that I often speak of several different subjects, but of timely importance is why we often don't discuss enough our ability to traverse between what is discussed in our tactile world, everyday environment, and the digital electronic world, which is our ability to be in the social media existence, which is important because, you know, oftentimes there are these moments which people think they can exist in their electronic world, social media, and that that isn't going to be of as much an important existence because it might not get seen or understood by other individuals because nobody else is going to see it. These are just, after all, clicks or likes or posts or tweets or any other terminology that one might want to call it. But so often, it is often just thought of as the soft copy as opposed to the printed version of something, you know, the paper version. But when we start to discuss, well, we're running out of trees in the world, the environment must be considered as important as anything else. Then we start to worry because if we don't have enough paper to print something on, if we don't have enough ink to print it with, then there is concern. After all, the printer cartridges do cost money. The pins that go into the ink cartridges to be able to put the ink in to go in, that go into the printer so on and so forth all those details oh the mechanical engineers are just stirring in their juices right now thinking wait i designed those that's a little important but suffice to say of conversation lately it's a little company by the name of TikTok, which yes, the word itself does sound a little familiar to that of a clock. Now, why are clocks important? Well, recently, the whole conversation about moving our clocks forward an hour, which does happen, you know, during springtime, because after all, Puxitoni Phil, he had this thoughtfulness about how we needed six more weeks of winter. Nobody was excited about that. No, nobody was. Everybody wanted to begin spring and have the flowers bloom and blossom, but we all knew that it wasn't going to happen because it was just a little colder than usual. There had been so much precipitation, and after all, the drought season in some of the states across the country, and for some reason the world has been a little topsy-turvy, meaning that climactic changes have been occurring in an unusual way, where it has been hotter in some places, it suddenly was colder, and where it has been colder, it suddenly has been hotter. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? Well, back to that company, which I won't keep saying its name because some people think that every time you say the name of something, it's a little bit Rumpelstiltskin. And if you've seen the movie Beetlejuice, well, you know what happens. Yes, it's the same. 
effect. So anyway, having said that, anyone who is watching the five hours plus of testimony before Congress this week of the CEO who didn't want to speak to his salary or net worth, but for some reason, even though a company is privately owned, the salary and compensation still comes up in conversations. So if you really listened in depth to the answering of the questions, eventually the pooling of answers did draw out some data of details of something of compensation somewhere from something. And so it was interesting. But I'm not going to dabble in the details other than to say, here's something that you should really note that in the congressional hearings having to do with this company, why is it so important for Congress to be discussing the depth to which this particular company has not been able to compartmentalize and separate the different types of information that is out there with all the clips and data and information that is just loosely available when it really shouldn't be. Because after all, as one of the representatives did note, it has been, these aren't her words, I'm paraphrasing, but it has been nauseatingly repetitious that question after question to CEO after CEO from many of these social media companies that it seems as if though they just can't get it correct. Because they do try, they say they will make every effort to make a change. And somehow they change one thing here, they change one thing there. But then things bifurcate, things adjust, and suddenly it's all a new world. And nothing seems to ever be as everyone expected. And why is it difficult for the world to understand this? For some reason, we want to be innovative. We need to be innovative. That is said and true. But somehow, we, the United States of America, find ourselves behind the innovative wheel. And we are still building that technological advancement. Now we did know, based on some projections years ago, that we needed to have graduated a certain amount of engineers, scientists, mathematicians in the STEM area, the science, technology, engineering, math area, to be able to stay ahead, if not even at par, with the requirements that innovation was going to require for the future. We knew that we were behind. And we are there 
in the era of the future. We are no longer in the future of tomorrow. We are actually in the today that was going to be tomorrow. And that is what is frightening, frighteningly true to so many of us. That as children and as educators decades ago sat in classrooms or stood in classrooms or were researchers and knew what the future was going to be and there was a tremendous amount of expectation. And as the saying goes, to he who much is given, much is expected. Well, here we are, here we are. But so what is true is this. No one in the world of globality ever knew or anticipated what the world was going to confront. of ancillary situations. And so when I return in the next segment, I will give you an example of why it is so important, this particular hearing that I anticipate not too many were paying attention because there were so many that were like, well, I really don't want to watch that because I'm kind of afraid of what I might hear. And yes, you heard me say, like, you don't hear me say that much, do you? Huh. Interesting. I shall return in a moment. And welcome back to another segment of the Digital Electronic World Point Report. What you are about to hear is a portion of a presentation, electronic presentation, from what is called Project Texas. This was recorded as part of South by Southwest. It, this is the title of a presentation where at the Courtyard Marriott, a podcaster talked about TikTok, this platform, social media platform, which has emerged itself as a global grand company, so it considers itself, because it has billions of users that put their information on there and allow themselves to be seen, heard, and understood. This presenter, Jeff Luisma, talks about his efforts, as he puts it, towards developing and implementing new security fireworks that are considered a framework for global tech companies 
operating in a changing political environment. He has people on his panel that he considers creators, such as university student-athletes and small business owners, who discuss this company and its brand and its business, as well as what the government has done to ban it. The people that are going to be on there are Joel Burbell, Dr. Kate Bilderdorf, Callie Goodwin, and Jeff Luisma, who is the TikTok US data security person. Anyway, I wanted you to hear it for a moment because then after that, I'm going to shortly play a portion of what was the hearing from Congress where they asked the CEO of TikTok to answer some questions because they had concerns about the ownership of the company and they believe that it actually is owned by the government of China. Take a listen. This is Jamal Brown, and I manage U.S. policy communications here at TikTok. Uh, we are so thrilled that you can join us today for this next hour on our session, Project Texas, securing TikTok for our community. Over the next hour, you're going to hear from members of the TikTok team, Jeff Luisma, on how we are securing and addressing national, secu national security concerns. And then you're going to hear from members of the TikTok community on a panel moderated by Ali Garfinkel of Yahoo Finance. And with that, I'll welcome Jeff Luisma. Thank you. I'm Jeff Luisma, based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I joined TikTok after nearly two decades in consulting and industry where I've led data protection programs, security monitoring, and a host of other cybersecurity functions. Today, I'm responsible for deploying our security tools and finding gaps as part of an initiative called Project Texas. We spent the last two years and $1.5 billion designing and then building a comprehensive framework to isolate U.S. user data and address the U.S. national security concerns. We've always understood these concerns and wanted to address them head-on through a constructive dialogue with the Committee for Foreign Investments in the U.S., or CFIUS. These measures are beyond anything any of our competitors have undertaken, and there are five key pillars, with the first one focusing on organizational design. We've created a new entity called TikTok US Data Security, or USDS, that will focus on safeguarding the US national security interests. USDS will manage all business functions that need access to US user data. Every TikTok function that needs access to this data and the underlying software platforms will live in this organization. This includes system engineering, security, trust and safety, user support, legal compliance, and IT. We're also in the process of appointing an independent board of directors to oversee USDS. Every director will need to have strong US national security credentials and be approved by CFIUS. Every individual within this entity will report to this independent board and will have no reporting back lines back to TikTok or ByteDance. These are the kinds of structures you see in the military defense industry, where companies are building missiles and fighter jets not social media platforms. 
and our peer companies will have no such controls in place. Today, the USDS business unit has more than 1,200 full-time employees, and we plan to grow to over 2,500 by the end of the year. Next, I'll talk about the technical solution, how we're ensuring we're protecting U.S. users' data, our systems are secure, and subject to oversight. The second pillar, which we call data protection and access control, will protect U.S. user data flows and limit access. Hundreds of engineers have been involved in various aspects of system design, development, and testing. When we began this project, our goal was to design a system that would ensure the security of U.S. users' data and transparency by a third party. How we achieve this is reflected in the diagram shown here. Essentially, we've replicated the global TikTok platform and used that code to implement a standalone version inside of Oracle Cloud, forming the, or the TikTok US platform. The white box you see in the middle of the diagram shows you where the TikTok US platform sits. This is what serves you the videos, it's our recommendation algorithm, advertising engine, it includes the e-commerce, user data, content moderation systems. It's the entirety of the code that delivers the TikTok experience. The TikTok US platform is surrounded by gateways that, as the name suggests, are the entry points into and out of the platform. No data goes in or out of the TikTok US platform without going through a gateway. This gateway structure is our way of ensuring that our systems can be easily audited for compliance with our commitments on data security. All of the gateways will be controlled by Oracle and monitored by both Oracle and USDS. ByteDance and TikTok Global will not have access. We've also secured US user data on the mobile app by enclosing it in a protective wrapper developed by Oracle called the Sandbox. The Sandbox ensures that data only goes to approved infrastructure and cannot be sent to any unauthorized locations. Some data types are permitted to leave the system to ensure that users have the full TikTok experience. And our global personnel can access non-personal data for legitimate business purposes. In our discussions with the government, we've been very specific about what data fields and categories are in scope. And I can give you a couple examples. Public data. All of our users want the opportunity to post a public video and have it go viral around the world. Similarly, interoperability data. A user may decide to take a public video private, so we have to send a message that leaves this environment to tell our systems around the world to take the video down. Or a user might send a direct message to somebody outside of the country, so we need to take that message and it needs to leave the environment for the message to be delivered. This approach is based on the fundamental principle that's been important throughout our discussions with the government. While it's of paramount importance to safeguard U.S. national security, it's also important to preserve the global experience of our users and not isolate them in a digital island separate from other nations. We've done our best to design a system that keeps both of these objectives in mind. And where are we today? We've made significant progress. This prototype now handles 100% of U.S. user traffic, and all new user data is stored exclusively in the Oracle Cloud. That means if you create your account on TikTok today, your data is stored exclusively in the Oracle Cloud. And we've started focusing on deleting historical data stored in Singapore and Virginia. Now let me tell you something a little bit about something we're calling software assurance. We're committed to protecting TikTok from unauthorized access, including by state actors. To ensure that our systems have no backdoors, every single line of source code that goes into the secure environment will be monitored, reviewed, 
and validated by Oracle and a third-party source code inspector to show that everything is performing as designed. This all happens in these dedicated transparency centers you see on the screen. They will use dynamic testing, static testing, manual review. Every line of source code is subject to inspection. These third parties will have unprecedented access to scrutinize our source code to ensure that no one has inappropriately gained access or control. For the mobile app, Oracle manages the entire chain of custody. That means they review the app, they build the app, and they deliver it to the app store. By undergoing multiple layers of third-party independent review, we're providing assurance that there are no backdoor access into these systems and that our software has been vetted and validated to ensure that it does not present a risk to U.S. users. Mr. Jamal Brown and I manage U.S. Paul Gray's Anatomy. Mr. Like quantifiable way there to actually be able to latch on. We're going to be talking to Oracle will have full access to the algorithm code and the trained model inside of the Oracle cloud. Now we do promote content like the World Cup or when Taylor Swift joined and at times boost it beyond the rating it would have ordinarily received from the recommendation system much like Netflix promotes a featured video or movie on the homepage. In fact, this boosting applies to a very small percentage of videos and is subject to our business rules that are transparent inside the company. It's controlled by our Los Angeles-based editorial team. Under Project Texas, USDS will implement these business processes and Oracle will have full visibility into them to ensure that no one has introduced any unexpected rules or behavior into the system. In all the promotion decisions, will be transparent and auditable by our third-party monitors and the Content Advisory Council. Now to round things out, our fifth pillar focuses on compliance and monitoring. We have a, a culture of compliance at TikTok that starts at the top, and the entire company is committed to building and operationalizing these initiatives. And at USDS, we take our responsibilities very seriously, and we expect our independent board will hold us to the highest standards but you don't have to take our word for it. There will be multiple levels of third-party monitoring, including by CFIUS, to ensure that we're upholding our commitments under this deal. We haven't waited for the National Security Agreement in order to move forward on this work. We've already made significant progress and continue to advance our objectives. We're, what we're pioneering is incredible. We have important work left ahead. We're committed to bringing you along the way and can look forward to sharing more as we progress. Thank you for having me today, and I'm excited to pass the baton to our amazing group of creators. Thank you. So as you can see, I paused it because I didn't want it to go the entire hour because our segments on my podcast are not usually more than an hour long as the entirety. But if you wanted to listen to the entire presentation, which was from a South by Southwest panel presentation, you can always visit it yourself at www.schedule.southbysouthwest.com and then go specifically to Project Texas. And the title of the presentation is Securing TikTok for Our Community. And that actually aired March 11th, 2023 at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, specifically, though, I will be returning in a moment because I wanted you to get an idea and understanding that what soon transpired 
afterward was the congressional hearing focusing on asking the CEO of TikTok to answer questions on who exactly does own and how much of the company do they own? Because the thought is, does China, the People's Republic of China, own a majority stake and or in entirety the company TikTok, even though it is understood that there may be partial ownership by other people, but do they have a proprietorship? ownership of this company that has billions of users that are American. And by what you heard, there are specific projects such as this one in particular that are quite critical. So I shall return in a moment. And welcome back to another segment of the Digital Electronic World Point Report. Previously in the other segments, I have been discussing the recent, as of March 11th, 2023, communication that had occurred in regards to a South by Southwest panel discussing TikTok's information on its own security measures in the United States that had directly been related to how it deals with its own security. On something specific that it refers to as Project Texas. Now, I had originally become aware of this through the congressional hearings that were being held just recently, actually, a few days ago, Thursday. And as I began to listen to these, now you have to um, understand it from the context of my own perspective, I suppose, to really understand why am I even discussing this and seemingly perplexed if billions of people have accounts on this tiny little app. When in actuality, many countries across the world have already banned this application for its seemingly inability to compartmentalize its own data. But in my perspective, I was not aware that South by Southwest had its own panel on the subject, which actually opens up an entirely different conversation about how the data is already out there in a much different way. It's out there for the ethos, the exoverse, as I refer to it, to utilize. Now, I understand legislators are concerned because they're getting communications, letters, calls, faxes from parents concerned that children are participating in challenges which are detrimental and dangerous to children. Challenges that are not healthy in many instances. But this is a conversation that is societal for us as a country. We in the United States have a much deeper conversation that we really have to embark on because we haven't actually been able to discuss Many things as a country, we have fractured ourselves in such a way from many conversations. 
from our ability to have civil conversations because for some reason we decided to bucket yes truly bucket now i don't mean because we want to have a bucket list for everything and do this and do that before we pass away that is not what i'm talking about not not in that sense at all but there is a sixth sense about some people in the way they want to discuss things having to do with people's dying hour. And we don't need to go there as a country. We really don't. We need to find ways to be healthy about our human experience. And I think there is an inability for us to do that. And there's a truthfulness about this. And it saddens the human mind because as many hearings as we've had on so many subjects which are detrimental to the mind and to the psyche both on mental health and on psychological effects of different instances and experiences there still is the ancillary situation that is allowed in our country that somehow contributes to a person's, and this includes children, sadly, which actually destroys the cognitive ability to process. And it has to be said, because as much as there are many people who are saying that they're trying to help, there actually are other factors around that process which are working against that. And this is an example of, which I'm going to play in just a moment, but it needs to be said because the films that we are funding are actually making things worse, but we can't stop the film industry because the film industry has its independence about it. And so one has to look at, yes, this example, the South by Southwest experience is unique in and of itself for what it does, because it does discuss its ability to do many things, but so does the Comic-Con experience, so does the Fanny, yes, <laughs> the fandom experience. And so when we start to talk about, okay, what is it about Asia that is in this conversation with cosplay that is so much different? Because there are many actors and actresses that go to Asia to film in the CGI world and they are as much a part of the film industry as any other actor or actress but they do have to embark on CGI practices in a different way than perhaps other directors might. But the Motion Picture Academy may have to participate in film 
perhaps in Asia much differently than they might in Burbank. And that has to be something that needs to be discussed in a different way. Because yes, the AF of LCIO is participating. Okay, this is going to become an uncomfortable conversation that perhaps some don't want to have, but need to have. And there needs to be an understanding of what are those understandings that were developed decades ago. Because when we talk about work environments, what are those work environments that were established that are healthy for office settings? Because human resource professionals that know the importance of what it means to hire someone who is going to work an eight-hour day and get paid for an eight-hour day in an office setting, understand that, yes, also there are different standards that were agreed upon. Now, it doesn't always make sense to everyone because not everyone works in the same industry. But there are different standards than the FLSA standards. And this isn't something that is always embarked upon. So why then, pray tell, did we still allow and do we still allow there to be different standards for the Motion Picture Association, for the film industry, for the agricultural industry, and for people who work in office settings. There are guidelines for certain reasons, but we have to understand that when people begin to discuss the fact that there should not be disparities, they do notice the disparities. And this is well beyond the fact that some people work in professional settings, meaning office settings, intellectual settings, and some people work in hands-on settings, meaning that they're nuts-to-bolts environments, and some people are all keyboard environments. When those standards were established, it was a much different century. Those are not conversations that are taking place anymore. The National Labor Relations Board needs to have a serious discussion with itself about how some processes have been moved forward and others have not. Why some people have dismantled some processes while other processes have been automated. It's a very difficult conversation because not everyone's compensation has been leveled. Not everyone is going to want to understand the process. This is why not everyone wants to be part of the conversation. Additional to this is the following. One cannot even begin to understand why 
When some people say they have not sold the data, they do not understand they themselves that it is impossible for them to know that they haven't sold the data when they have actually already outsourced the work. If they have outsourced the work, it is the subsidiaries of the companies that they have outsourced that could very well have sold the data. Additionally, there has to be an understanding that there are gaps of knowledge and there are additional concerns which I will bring to your attention after you listen to the following questioning. Commit to that? Not selling the data you collect? Uh, Congressman, I believe we don't sell data at, uh, to any data brokers. You don't sell to anyone? We don't sell data to data brokers. I didn't ask you data brokers. You sell it to anyone. In other words, I, uh, under our bill, you can only use the data for your own purposes, not to sell it to anyone. Would you commit to not selling your data to anyone? Uh, Congressman, uh, I actually am in support of some rules. I didn't ask you whether the rules. Yeah. I asked you whether the company, TikTok, would commit to not selling its data to anyone and just using it for its own purposes internally. I can get back to you on the details. Okay, that. get back to me. All right. Another thing that's in our bill says that uh, we would prohibit targeting marketing to uh, to people under the age of 17. Would you be willing to agree to prohibit targeted marketing to people, Americans under the age of 17? Congressman, we have actually stricter rules for advertisers in terms of what they can show to our so users. So do you prohibit, tar would you be willing to prohibit targeted marketing to those under 17? That's what's in our bill. I understand that there's uh, some talk and some legislation around this, around the country. Well, again, I'm, not interested, I'm wanting you to make that commitment without the legislation. Since you say you're a good company, you want to do good things, why not? It's something we can, we can look into and get back okay, to Okay, I appreciate that. Okay, we also have in our bill a requirement of heightened protection for sensitive data, uh, particularly location and health data. Would you commit uh, to not uh, gathering or dealing with location or health data unless you get affirmative consent uh, from the uh, consumer? In other words, under our bill, those are categorized as sensitive, and unless the person specifically says, I want you to collect that data, you wouldn't be able to. Location and health data. Would you commit to that? Congressman, in principle, I support that. Which, by the way, we do not collect um, precise G GPS data at this point. Okay. And I do not believe we collect any health data. All right, so yeah. would you be willing to make that commitment that from now on you won't collect location and health data without what you're saying at all? Is that Congressman, a commitment? We, this is data that's frequently collected by many other companies. In our I know other companies do it. I don't think they should without affirmative consent. You said you want to be a good actor. So why not make that commitment to me today? We, we're committed to be very transparent with our users about what we collect. I don't think what we collect, I don't believe what we collect is more than you most see, players in the industry. My problem here is you're trying to give the impression that you're going to move away from Beijing and the Communist Party. You're trying to give the impression that you're a good actor. But the commitments that we would seek uh, to achieve those goals are not being made today. They're just not being made. You're going to continue to gather data. You're going to continue to sell data. You're going to continue to do all these things. Uh, and continue to be under the aegis of, of the Communist Party through, the, through your, uh, you know, uh, organization that owns you. So, in any case, thank you. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Gentleman yields back. Chair now recognizes the gentleman from Texas, Mr. Burgess, for five minutes. I thank the chair. Thank you, Mr. Chu, for, for joining us today. Uh, I think we've heard you say multiple times that TikTok 
is not a Chinese company. The ByteDance is not a Chinese company. But according to an article in today's Wall Street Journal, quoting here, China's Commerce Ministry said Thursday that a sale or divestiture of TikTok will involve exporting technology that has to be approved by the Chinese government. Continuing to quote, the reported efforts by the Biden administration would severely undermine global investors' confidence in the U.S., said Xu Tuting, a ministry spokeswoman. Continuing to quote, if that is true, China will firmly oppose it, she said, referring to the forced sale. So despite your assertions to the contrary, China certainly thinks it is in control of TikTok and its software. Is that not correct? Congressman, uh, TikTok is not available in mainland China. And today we are headquartered in Los Angeles and Singapore. But I'm not saying that, you know, the founders of ByteDance are not Chinese, nor am I saying that we don't make use of Chinese employees, uh, just like many other companies around the world. We, we do, you know, use their expertise on some engineering projects. But according now, to their ministry spokeswoman, it would be a divestiture of exporting technology from China. So they, again, China thinks they own it, even though you do not. And Madam Chair, I just like to ask you to have consent to put today's Wall Street Journal without objection, so ordered into the record. Um, Mr. Chu, I, I wouldn't ask you to discuss any privileged attorney client materials, but uh, did anyone aside from your lawyers assist you in preparation for today's hearing? I prepared for this hearing with my team here in D.C. My name is Wendy, and I get Botox Cosmetic. My treatment areas were my forehead, my crow's. And I certainly apologize for that commercial that interjected itself, but I wanted to give you a small snippet of what that particular hearing was. And you get the inclination that... This person that was testifying, Mr. Chu, the CEO of TikTok, though answering some of the questions, was declining other questions. Hours into the session, there was an indication that he would not provide details to his compensation. A truly clear understanding that he did not want to disclose to the depth of his ability. When I return, you will hear more members of Congress who had some concerns about where else the data might have been and who exactly was filtering through the categorization of information that actually was on the servers. And welcome back to the Digital Electronic World Point Report. Now, we've been discussing quite a bit about social media. But today, I don't want to just discuss the same thing ad nauseum. And so I wanted to discuss the calendar day. How interesting it is. There are five anomalies 
in a three series. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the day. 325-2023. If you take the first three and you connect it to the second to last two, add it, you get a five. Okay, circle that. Now, take the second number, which is a 2, connect it to the last number, which is a 3, and you get a 5. Circle that. Because you've added it, you see. Now, next number is a five. Isn't that fascinating? I wanted to just call that to your attention for a moment because the three of those are a series. And that's a 15. Interesting, isn't it? Now, because it is actually... At this moment, 3.30, can you think about, yes, I know what you're thinking. It's a multiple of five. Can you think about where in the rest of your day can you find fives? Well, I'll let you go about the rest of your day, but uh, when I return, I will have one more segment that will have to do with the TikTok testimony of Mr. Chow. Ah, good, you're listening. It isn't Mr. Chow. Now, isn't it interesting that people can err when naming people's names, pronouncing people's names? One has to be careful when pronouncing people's names, particularly because it can actually change the context of the name itself. So, when I return, a little more context about Mr. Chu's testimony. And welcome back. On this, the last segment, having to do with the TikTok testimony of the CEO of TikTok, Mr. Xu Zi Chu. In this last portion, having to do with his answers to Congress, I wanted to point out Representative Ruiz, who brought to light specific statistics having to do with the amount of views on TikTok and the repetitious nature of the views themselves, but also the significance of the searches that were on there. So take a moment to listen to this, and then afterwards, 
I'll discuss the significance. Thank you, Chair Rogers. I echo my colleagues' concerns about TikTok's impacts on the health and well-being of the American public. As a doctor and the ranking member of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, I am troubled that TikTok is rife with medically inaccurate information, including dangerous misinformation and the intentional disinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines. TikTok's community guidelines state that the company will remove content or accounts that involve, quote, misleading information that causes significant harm, unquote. However, since the early stages of the pandemic, TikTok has been used as a platform for people pushing misinformation, disinformation, including by those casting doubt on the safety and efficacy of life-saving vaccines. And despite TikTok's pledge to address harmful misinformation, these videos are being viewed millions of times. For example, the Institute for Strategic Dialogue found that a sample of 124 TikTok videos containing vaccine misinformation were viewed 20 million times. And Media Matters found that a sample of 18 videos with COVID-19 misinformation were viewed over 57 million times. Here's another shocking study. The Journal of American Medical Informatics Association found that when searching hashtag quote coronavirus on TikTok, almost 30% of the videos that came up contained misinformation. Videos in that sample containing a high level of misinformation were viewed a median of 9.4 million times. Mr. Shu, what are these... Why are these dangerous videos falling through the cracks of your company's efforts to enforce its own community guidelines and remove harmful misinformation? Uh, before, before I answer that, in my response to an no, earlier no, question you're, from you're, Representative you're in my, Mr. Shu, you're in my time. Answer my question. I, I understand, but if no, I would like to clarify I'm something. I'm clarified. I have f five minutes okay. in my time. You're in my time now. Answer my question. Yes. Uh, any dangerous uh, misinformation, is part we partner with third-party experts to be able to identify and help us with subject domain expertise. And with the expertise we, that we recognize, we rely on those to develop policies, to recognize and remove content well, that could be... Your efforts are, have failed and they're dangerous, okay? It's public health risks that you're putting millions of people's lives at risk for not being able to do a better job. And I'm concerned that TikTok's features make it users uniquely vulnerable to the spread of this misinformation. For example, TikTok makes it extremely easy to reuse audio and videos to create content, which allows misinformation to quickly spread through the platform. And TikTok's algorithm to recommend videos means that a user viewing one video containing misinformation can easily result in their quote-unquote for you page becoming filled with videos containing similar misinformation. This is a dangerous feedback loop. So is TikTok taking any action to modify these features so that they no longer facilitate the spread of this misinformation or this misinformation feedback loop? Congressman, um, again, like I said, any dangerous mis- or disinformation, um, we work with third parties to recognize that and it's proactively removed from our platform. Okay, so it so, doesn't need to get into those loops so, at all. So, I, so I, can, I can go back and read you the, the data and, the, and uh, the Journal of American Medical Informa Informatics, 30% of videos uh, after searching for hashtag coronavirus had misinformation. One, like almost one out of three, your third party 
and your and your company are missing one almost one out of three misinform videos. So you're telling me what you're doing. I'm telling you the data shows that you are grossly failing at that effort. The other thing, the other question I have for you is a TikToks is also in Spanish. And Spanish-speaking populations have been specifically targeted to uh, to misinformation uh, when it comes to many aspects, especially medical misinformation. And as chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, we reached out to you last Congress on this issue. So, what is your intent, or how does your your um, uh, team look like to address Spanish? versus English. How many staff do you have focusing on Spanish versus how many staff do you have focusing on English misinformation? Congressman, um, I was uh, like I explained just now, um, the Spanish speaking population is very important to our platform. Uh, we do have a lot of um, Spanish speaking moderators and we will continue. To so how many Spanish speaking staff versus English speaking Spanish staff or misinformation do you have? I can get back to you on the specifics, but dangerous misinformation is moderated regardless of language. Not to the degree that it needs to be. We, we, are, we can continue and, to work and, hard. And when to, there's misinformation, people base their decisions that oftentimes put them at risk uh, in exposures and their families at risk. And with the coronavirus, especially prior to the vaccines, uh, they, they, the risk was their life. Thank you. Real bad. Madam Chair, I would like... And that is an important note upon which to pivot, that their discussion was essential as it pointed out statistics that hadn't been discussed throughout the majority of the hearing as to the searches that were done on TikTok, how many were being routed towards what audience and specifically how much mis misinformation was out. It was interesting when the representative noted 30% misinformation, the 9.4 million views to some may seem staggering to others they are aware of the repetitious nature of this app and in other portions of the hearing it could be understood that the depth to which the cognitive development of the human brain is being affected not only by this particular app but by others as well. Because a person can literally watch something over and over and over again, regardless of what it is. And unfortunately, because some of it is so detrimental, this is, again, why the conversation is taking place. And the fact that there need to be better mechanisms in place to pull what is negative. To be able to stop what is inappropriate. The content moderation teams play an important role. What I didn't play for you was the following, which had to do with where
the content moderation teams are located? And the answer was that they are in Dublin, Ireland, and in the United States. Those are the two locations that they are in. An important answer considering that it has been noted previously that actually, if you look at the fine print of companies such as Twitter, Twitter has a location server, a large location in Ireland. And so one has to ask themselves, is it the parceling of Twitter now that it has changed its functionality? Partially responsible for some of this that is happening? So one has to begin thinking, when companies change who they are as a company, and it isn't just Twitter, it's others as well, the Facebooks that become the metas that change who they are in name, but actually just restructure as they become more, as they see it, in tune with the new softwares because they also have gone through iterations of themselves. One has to truly look at the big picture because Instagram, when it began, was not the Instagram that it is today. It actually has listened to a lot of the feedback that people have given it. But even in these hearings, this hearing, a lot has been heard and understood, but really it has been because of the voices that spoke up. There are many other voices that haven't actually made it to the table, which is what Representative Ruiz is speaking to, that the Spanish-speaking community has a lot to say about the very subject. And when the coronavirus comes up in conversation, it also is an important part of the conversation for the very reason that when the pandemic occurred and became prevalent, not only in the United States, but in the world, the communication methodologies were very important because many of the businesses closed, the schools closed, and when people were working in their office settings, they began working at home. And when they began working at home, although they may have been on their VPNs, which were quite secure for some, for others, not as much. Some may have been lending their phones to their children to be able to log on to their school websites. Others may have just said, why don't you just watch this video, dear kiddo, while I go start dinner. And there could have been any number of anomalies or changes in procedures. We will never know to the depth of what happened, truly what happened. And so it really doesn't get just the one conversation, and it isn't just the Spanish-speaking community, it is any number of communities that had access to accounts. It will never get triangulated to the level that it could have been, because once work made it to home, it was much different than when it was in the office.
not everyone works at home. There are some responsibilities that were always delegated to home office responsibility, and some never had been. And so there was an adjustment for many, many people across the country in the United States and globally. And this is not only an anomaly for companies in the United States that are small, but also for the multinational corporations that had the executives in place to be able to manage this. Because the conversations, and I have to caveat, yes, the multinational corporations were probably the ones that were best positions to pivot in that type of environment. The smallest businesses were the ones that had the biggest challenge. But nonetheless, one has to see that no one really wants to begin to unravel that type of onion because it has so many layers that are just difficult to look at. And it is one of the most perturbing situations anyone would ever want to be a part of. But either way, we are all unraveled within it. Because from the labor law posters being updated to the paychecks being accurate, to how much was withdrawn from the paychecks and how much was actually paid. Was it all Bitcoin? Was partially Bitcoin? Was it all US dollar? What were people actually working and what was the accuracy? How is that all going to be reconciled? The truth of that is still being reviewed and our banking system is still trying to answer that. Now, the economy, many say, is a completely separate beast. But whether we are in recession, in depression, or in an adjustment, Everyone is feeling that. From the carpenter, to the gardener, to the executive director, to the CEO, to the pilot. To the roofer. And, of course, it is understood that every country goes through an adjustment regardless, but this is a most unusual economic environment because interest rates continue to be adjusted and fluctuate. And the questions about whether China is involved in companies such as this one are not just a reaction to something such as what I played for you at the beginning, which was a podcast from South by Southwest, which sometimes 
have the most interesting panels. A reflection of the film industry's most innovative and creative moments. No, we're talking about national security. We're talking about in Texas, we have had detention centers with some of the most complex problems that haven't been answered. Immigrants who have been detained, who have been awaiting hearings, who have some not received hearings, have been awaiting judges and or adjudication. And with the impending May 11th day, upon which on that day will expire Title 42, the country understands there is going to be a large, large shift. So it isn't lost on anyone that discussion about the purging of data means a lot more than just old data on an old server. Because whose information is that truly? One is going to have to review that information. There were people that became ill in those detention centers. Some people did get the coronavirus. Not only people who were detained, that were from different states, different countries, people that were born in the detention centers, including but not limited to border patrol agents, people that were picked up at the border, people that were teaching there, people that were helping there, people that were feeding there, and does that mean that some of the information could possibly be theirs? This is why it can't just be that all of a sudden there's a brand new server and it has no data. Because if people were posting their vignettes, and it had information that was pertinent to cases from other countries for other countries regarding people with loved ones who are waiting for them. It is relevant. And this is why these are pivotal answers. No one country owns the information. Data is not just data. Numbers are not just numbers. Percentages are not just percentages. There are people behind the numbers. Stories behind the people. Texas is not just land. It is part of a country, the United States of America. 
And in the United States of America, there are rights and responsibilities. And even though there is a conversation about what happens when someone arrives in the United States of America, those responsibilities due process occurs for all immigrants. Despite the fact that there is a backlog for the processing of our immigrant population, it should not be lost on anyone that freedom and liberty and justice for all cannot be forgotten should not be absconded with during some of the most difficult moments that our country has gone through. This is why one cannot disregard hearings such as this one that perhaps even only two, three, four, five people listened to because so many are exhausted by the social media. Prevalence of repetitious behavior. That is what it's supposed to do after all exhaust the psyche. It is supposed to make you stare ad nauseum at something that will just make your eyes wind inward and outward, inward and outward. But do not let your brain be weird. This is not the moment to ignore the responsibility everyone has to the glory that it is to live in a country that touts democratic responsibility. It requires work. It requires continued effort. And on that, I end this episode of the Digital Electronic World Point Report. Your hostess, Margarita Carrillo. Have a great day.